0: Part two of Asking Why podcast episode 39 with Jeremy Morton, retired military, retired Delta Force Sergeant Major. And so um, if you're just checking in, there's a part one you should listen to. But if not, you can jump in here. This is his time in Delta Force all the way up until current affairs in Afghanistan now. Um, So thanks for listening. Enjoy.
1: And uh, yeah, so here we are. Alyssa and I are um, sitting at the house one night. We're on alert and my pager goes off. I look down at my pager, and I'm like, okay, all right, here we go, so run around the house, I'm kind of throwing my stuff in a bag, and I look at Alyssa, I'm like, all right, love you, I got to go, we don't have any kids at this point, it's just the two of us, right, and so we, I go into work, and they're like, yeah, we're we're taking off, guys, and so we, you know, we do our thing, and get our bags, and all that stuff, and end up getting on the airplane and taking off and go do our thing and come back home and by the time we get back home i think two or three weeks later we're scheduled on a normal deployment and uh that would really kind of set the set the pace at that point uh, in the war but yeah we you know go over and uh, deploy to iraq and you know that was my you know i had that quick little trip over and we did our thing and came back and then you know now we're on our normal rotation and and doing our thing Um,
0: and so what was your job
1: yeah so my job you know a team of guys um, everybody on the team pretty much has sort of the same responsibilities like everyone's trained to do the same thing everybody's trained in medical so I know how to you know, at that point, if someone gets shot and know how to do kind of quick trauma medicine on the spot to keep a guy alive long enough to get him to a surgical table, um, explosives, explosives expert in uh, how to gain entry in, in different, you know, places. You know, you, weapons, obviously, kind of the the bread and butter is... It was uh, marksmanship, so the ability to to shoot really well with a rifle and a pistol. and you know close quarter combat was our our thing, right That's sort of the core of of the unit. So being able when I say close quarter combat, like clearing a house so like going into a house and working your way through that systematically uh, to the point where it's secure and then you kind of do your your follow-on actions after the the target secure so everyone like when you go through the course you you get all that training right so everyone's trained to the same level and then on the team there's just you know they may designate a guy like hey you know morton jeremy you're you're the breacher and, it, and that really was team dependent on who they in the stack kind of of leadership you know your number one guy on the team is a team leader and you kind of work your way all the way down
0: and what's your rank at this
1: point um i'm an e7 okay by now I'm an E-7, and I'm the junior guy on the team, right? So imagine, like, seasoned guys. I'm on a team with guys who had already been to Afghanistan on the initial invasion, you know, Iraq, you name it. And so, yeah, it was very intimidating. And, yeah, so anyways, we all kind of know how to do the same things, and we just sort of split up responsibilities for other tasks. Um, um,
0: and so what's a the typical mission. like you know deployment can you talk about that
1: and in, in what way
0: uh like you go in and rescue search and rescue what what do you what's the what's the delta force typically do <laughs> i'll have to be very careful about that yeah.
1: part so i mean you know direct action missions i mean you know you're going after a certain you know group of enemy um uh folks um another thing that we specialized in was hostage rescue
0: right um yeah, that's what I was
1: yeah, kind of you know the ability to to go in you know when Americans or allies or whoever that is has been taken you know hostage by a bad guy, you know one of our specialties uh was to go in and get people out um did a lot of that kind of stuff um in my years um We do other, you know, there were other things that I (laughs) I can't talk about. I don't don't want to talk about, but kind of that. In my time in service, that really was sort of the meat for us. It was these going out and direct action missions. What I mean is like going out and hunting, hunting bad guys, Mm -hmm. finding them, and then going and doing what was necessary. You know, either capture them or, if they resisted, kill them. And then the other part of that was, you know, going and rescuing people, or at least trying to find them and rescue them. There was probably more of the trying to find them and rescue them than than the actual getting to a person and kind of getting getting them out. Um, a lot of times, you know, they negotiated with uh, with the bad guys, and they were able to kind of negotiate a hostages release. Mm-hmm. I was able. I
0: I'll say this, you know, for people listening, you know, Jeremy and I have a relationship so I can kind of ask him these questions and we planned on it. But you know, these are things that you don't ask military guys often or you don't get asked often or it's some high school kids like you get to kill somebody, you know, you know, and, that, and that's, so don't do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I don't mind, you know, I've sort of started opening up. Right. Like, you know, why am I here today too? It was like, well, I've kind of been, I lived a, I lived that life and that life is very, compartmentalized and out of sight um, and so they do a really good job of just hey, keep your mouth shut keep your mouth shut you know you don't say certain things obviously when I was operational you know absolutely not you know it was kind of a weird existence you know my wife knew what I did um, a couple of my close family members my brother of course you know, my big brother yeah, what was it
0: like when he uh you know when he found out that you made delta
1: yeah i just think he was you know he was proud like yeah, yeah man okay awesome because um, he gets it you know yeah yeah uh, that was one thing you know we're four years apart he's four years older than than me and so we had this i was this immature little punk kid you know <laughs> and he goes off to the army and you know matures and then spent four years there, and here I am, sort of making my way out of high school. And he's been a good older brother and mentoring me. And so we're, you know, kind of put that plan in motion, and here we are. See, so see the some of the fruits of that. That's and awesome. I think he was pretty proud. Yeah. Um, my mom was a nervous wreck because at that point, as I'm in the unit, you know, deploying, my brother's in the Texas National Guard. He's a full timer, and you know, they get activated and they're going to Iraq. So there was this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, my mom's just a nervous wreck having both of her sons over in Iraq.
0: Oh, man, I know. Uh, I, I went, so I got deployed to Afghanistan in '03, and it wasn't until this summer that I told my mom, like, you know, I have two boys now, and it hit me that, like, I think Grady was, like, going out to the beach with somebody by himself, and I had never really let him by. Well, I'm a big freak about kids and water. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like, had this, like, anxiety about him going without me. And I like turned to look to my mom and she's was washing dishes and I was like, if for the first time really it hit me what it must have been like for her as a mother, yeah, to watch her kid get deployed yeah. in the middle of like 9 eleven in Afghanistan and if, if she's listening she's probably laughing because it's like it took me <laughs> however many years to think or you know whatever but yeah it's it's a it's a toll, and I can't even imagine I mean mine was nothing compared to what you're talking about
1: well in 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 the spiritual sense, i really feel like my mom was like she was lifting the heavy weight,
0: oh yeah,
1: gosh lifting a heavy weight, uh, for me, you know, pleading with the Lord for salvation. And now here I am, you know, in the mix, you know, and my brother too, you know, the, you know, the Texas national guard. And honestly, if I, there was, and we'll, we'll get into this just kind of living in what I would call sort of the, the valley of the shadow of death the whole time I was in the unit. Um, the first deployment was great you know we we were just you know it, w- it wasn't that bad and then as the years sort of progress and it's kind of weird to sit here and talk about the years like yeah
0: because you were in how long how long were you
1: long were you in delta uh 14 years <laughs> Lord. you know like the last three years i was two and a half years i was in sort of an, an administrative position i was still if something tragic happened you know they would have pulled me out of that position i would have i would have gone back and filled a <laughs> a slot on a team somewhere if like, you know, we'd have had a situation like a mass casualty or something like that. So you're never like, you're never off that pager. Mm -hmm. That was like life, right? Life. It's all glorified. I think a lot of people watch movies and they're like, yeah, man, you know, you get to do all that cool stuff. And like, certainly, of course, you know, you're jumping, you know, out of airplanes, you know, one of the, you know, military free fall at night, 25,000 feet, you know, falling through the sky, you know. That's the, the Halo stuff? Yeah, the Halo stuff. Um, so, one, you know, one of the things we're trained on is, you know, I went from the low infiltration static line operations to military freefall as a way of an infiltration to a, a target, right? And so you kind of train up on all that stuff. And I wish I would have gotten the opportunity um, to, to jump military free fall and combat I just you know that wasn't the, that wasn't the thing
0: but you went to Halo school
1: I did yeah so we were all MFF qualified ended up being, I figured I just you know
0: yeah the average person I'm listening yeah I ended up being uh, if but, you want to look at that documentary if you you know if anybody wants to see what Halo jumping is it's really awesome
1: yeah it's uh, you know the military <laughs> it's wild just, man. yeah the military just has a way of taking something really fun and turning it into torture oh, I'm uh, sure. in, in many different ways. So it's like, hey, guy, we're gonna, you know, you know, sky- you can't just
0: teach you to do skydiving. Yeah, skydiving.
1: Right? Let's just do skydiving and go jump out of an airplane. You know, nice sunny day. No, no, no. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put you know 150 pounds of equipment on you and kick you out of the back of a you know an aircraft at 25,000 feet in the in the pitch black. And we expect you to, you know, make sure you open your parachute at the right altitude. And then, oh, by the way, orient yourself to all the other guys that have jumped out around you. And then you guys assemble yourselves in the air, you know, in, a, in what they call a stack. And then we want you to all land together in this one place. That's like, what <laughs> nightmare have I entered into? <laughs> um, no, but, and you yeah, know, you did it. Yeah, but those are the challenges, you know. It's like, yeah, okay, all right, let's do this. Let's Let's do this. And. Um, yeah. So you kind of get used to that.
0: So when you were there, you had given your life to Christ. How was that playing in with you?
1: It wasn't, um, it wasn't hard to be a Christian there. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, like your listeners or even what your kind of idea when you, when you think like Delta Force operator, Oh, man, tattooed up guy, big muscled, probably rides a Harley, you know, just hard as nails kind of guy, you know what I mean? Um, and quite the opposite.
0: Well, I mean, I've been knowing you, so I know, I know yeah. now that...
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, f- I found myself in the company of, you know, husbands, fathers, you know, guys that are in their mid-30s, have families, you know, they go home have a typical day, you know, spending time with their kids and you know that's not everybody um, that life's hard, real hard on families um, and so you know a lot of lot of divorces and and whatnot but typically what you see is just sort of an average kind of guy um, who's just got a family and you know by day and out you know playing the boogeyman by night. <laughs> And, and kind of hunting bad guys.
0: And you say average, average, yeah. <laughs> I say Sorry. way above average. Yeah. Yes. No, average. I, I know. It's, I know it's awkward to talk about from your perspective because it never wants to sound. You want to be humble and you want to say it, but the reality is, is you guys are doing things that the average person would never do and could never do, from a mental capacity, from a spiritual capacity, from a physical capacity. Um, and so I just wonder, for you specifically, like how did that play into?
1: Yeah, so when I, you know, when I think about, like, one, it wasn't hard to be a Christian there, though there were obviously times when you know that was challenged, but not. It was more indirect than direct.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I wasn't being persecuted or anything like that. As you know, if the guys were out having a good time, like, hey man, you know, come come have a drink with us, let's go to the bar, and you know, I was I was kind of struggling with that because alcohol was a thing for me in high school and especially in ranger battalion man it's like you know the beer light came on it was yeah i don't know i just always found myself i'm either all in or all out on whatever i'm doing and i was a good drunk you know I, mm-hmm. I drank a lot and and partied hard and so as i got in started sort of got comfortable right I'd left ranger battalion and spent some time at fort polk now i'm here and it's like big boy rules and that that kind of put me in a new place where i was like hey you know you know maybe let's let's have a couple of drinks you know with the guys i don't want to be the new guy who's you know being a teetotaler to- teetotaler yeah, teetotaler yeah. yeah and and totally abstinent from from alcohol abstaining from alcohol and
0: because right, there's an intimacy there right there's this idea that you're supposed to be all in and you're and probably doing it way more of a mature thing. I, I think that's the thing that I've heard uh, heard about or dealt with with whether being deployed in Afghanistan or whatever is the higher you go up on the units, it seems like the more mature and the more professional you get. So it seems like what I'm hearing from you is Delta was kind of a group of guys that were there to do a job, do it well, do it professionally, and lives were on the line at all the time. Yep. So you couldn't really screw around like we could. Where people were getting drunk at night every night and, you know, doing taking pills and doing whatever they wanted to do because we weren't going to go into combat for, you know, months or weeks at a time, if ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Does that
0: make sense? Yep. Yeah. So, from like a scrub like me, you know, I just assume you could do those kind of things and have some beers and it wasn't this wild, you know, young 22 year old military guy who's just trying to party. I'm not saying it didn't get that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say typically guys were mostly kind of under control and like, hey, guys, it's time to time to call it a night or whatever because i just
0: think of it from a psychological perspective you have to have guys who have good strong mental capabilities and that plays into being mature and not being so so compulsive and impulsive and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah but some of that stuff existed anyway no right? i'm sure yeah i'm not yeah. saying
0: it's all or nothing but
1: i would say probably towards you know as the war progressed and you kind of start seeing and we'll probably talk about PTSD or PTS.
0: We can talk about that now, yeah.
1: And, and kind of the manifestations, and it, it may have different manifestations in different populations or groups of soldiers. No, definitely. Uh, but kind of back to that, being a believer and in, in the unit, it's like. Um. <laughs> my captain before i left fort polk you know and, and went up to fort bragg to, to be in the union he's like yep killing for jesus you know and you know to him he, i'm like okay <laughs> all right I don't, I don't know if i quite see it that way but yeah. you know i know he was joking but i was you know he knew i was a believer and you know he knew what i was heading into and was you know killing for jesus and and i got up there and you know you kind of have to s- start thinking about those things yeah like i'm I'm in this unit. I mean, we're not we're not going to, you know, serve a warrant, you know, we're not going to talk to a guy about shoplifting, you know, a Snickers bar at the at the local gas station. I mean, they they're asking us to go after really bad people. Right? Somebody's dying. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to die. And so I sort of had to kind of square myself with that reality. Um, going into the unit and kind of going to war for the first time. Um, here I was, like, I wasn't going to war for the first time with the Ranger Regiment. I wasn't going to war for the first time with, you know, another unit. I was I was in the unit, right? <laughs> going to war, like, I was nervous, uh, for sure.
0: I know everybody thinks you just run around so comfortable, like James Bond, just shooting at people.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> but i I did as a believer in that organization i had to i come to terms with that I also had to come to terms with my own death that was tough um and I think it's worth kind of talking about that a little bit more I mentioned like living in in the valley of the shadow of death kind of constantly um but yeah so i'm I'm sitting here thinking I'm like yeah probably gonna have to end up killing somebody and I'm training to do that right I'm in mean, literally training to you know identify the threat assess a situation and take action in a millisecond right mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to and our training was all geared towards that the selection process was put in place to find the person who could process that information quickly and make the right call you know Make the right shot, all those things um, but as a believer, I'm like how do I okay killing how am I killing for Jesus here like what like what's going on there and and so i I think really the the block of scripture that spoke to me most and I felt comfortable you know doing that was you know when everyone always talks about Romans chapter thirteen and Romans chapter thirteen is talking about governing authorities. So like civil societies, civil governments, um, and kind of what their role is. And the role is to, you know, protect. Mm-hmm. We're protecting human life. And and it goes on in, in Romans chapter 13. It says, you know, for the one who bears the sword does not bear it in vain, but he is a, a minister acting on God's behalf to execute justice against the evildoer. And then before that, you know, Paul's talking, is like, you know, basically saying like, look, do you want to be afraid of the authority or not? If you don't, then do what's good, right? Always be doing the right thing. But if you get out of line, you know, beware. There is, you know, the authority that's been in, put in place by God to, you know, to execute that, that judgment on the evildoer. And so I just... And I thought about that, and I was like, okay, all right, I'm I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Right, my job at this point is to, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, going against some real evil people. Um, that yeah, ex- that yeah, you're not getting sent to a
0: village and having to pick which random person may or may not be a good or bad guy. Most likely, yeah, yep. You're getting sent to a very specific person, place, target. Right. There's um, no question.
1: Yeah, no no question at all. I mean, I'm not some, saying that makes
0: it easier, but...
1: No, I mean, but it does. When it's when you have enough information and you sort of kind of get a picture of what this person, who they are, and, and what they're doing, you know, you're like, okay, all right? But that was kind of my verse going through, you know, Romans chapter 13. Like, I, I felt, in addition to that, I just felt a calling to it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, hey, you know, let's go try this thing out. You know, I really felt um, at that point after 9/11 that God sort of called me to to do this, and and so here we are, you know, deploying and and having to to make those kinds of decisions, and um, yeah, and we we kind of we kind of train for that. I, when when it comes to the killing part, um, I wonder what people think about, right? like what comes to mind you know killing an, another human being is um yeah it's not not an easy thing um, but you know you do it in such a way that um you know you use the most the best judgment you can you know against that that person's actions and you know when when i guess i taught you want to stay in the kind of that vein of of killing it's you know you you spend just as much time if not more time in training knowing when not to shoot i think a lot of people like maybe think of operators or whatever in, in that world like being trigger happy and you know just going to land scunion no that's not the truth i mean yeah that's happened because of the situation but we spend enough time in training where you're you know being obsessive about identifying the threat okay is that is that guy a threat is he is he a threat to us is he a threat to people in that situation and if so then you then you take action and and believe it or not you know i think that killing is a last resort i never once went on a mission where our goal was to go out and just like hey yeah we're killing that person we're going to go out there and kill them Mm -hmm. Uh, they always had a decision to make um those groups of people they had a decision to make right and so in equal proportions i I feel like in in one hand i held justice and mercy at the same time and so you know you you get into a situation and it's like look i've given like this guy's had every moment you know to to do the right thing now i'm here Mm -hmm. what decision will you make and so if they make the right decision and surrender they get captured. If they make the wrong decision and decide to resist, they die. And that's kind of the world that we lived and and operated in. But, you know, we use, like I said, every opportunity to give a person the ability to not make that wrong choice. But, you know, sometimes people have it in their hearts to to do those things and I think it's hard for like your listeners to understand that level of evil mm-hmm. that's out there, you know for all the things that we talk about like this is i mean you know what there there is evil here in this country but and for sure, but there's there are evil people out there right, and they're they're bent on on destruction, unfortunately, and so you have to have to deal with that,
0: yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Yeah. Being vulnerable. Yeah. It's hard, but I think it's great for people to hear because, you know, war is not pretty. um, But it's also not the Wild West, you know, and you're not just out there doing whatever you want to. And it's not glorified like on the movies where people are going in, you know. Yeah. It's 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 a nuance. We talked about this several times, but it's nuance. It's a little bit of everything. And,
1: you know, just before Paul in chapter 13 of Romans talks about governing authorities and kind of. Those people being put in place to protect, you know, just before he gets into that, he talks about, no, you know, don't be vengeful, mm-hmm. like hand it over to God let him kind of deal with that. So could never go in, into a situation where you're like, like a revenge killing, Right. you know what I mean? Uh, that would be wrong. Like, Let the person decide what they're going to do. You know, and so you you kind of do those things. So, yeah, there's rules of engagement. You know, we're very deliberate about those things. Uh, When you can and when you can't engage. Uh, You talk about different groups of people, combatants and non-combatants, and we were, you know, just maniacs about trying to make sure that, you know, this is a combatant, right? These Mm -hmm. people are aggressing, and so we take action at that point.
0: I think that goes back to for people to realize like that's what it you know when you go through these tiers of military and you're you're just you know join the army and you're in the army and and then maybe you're eleven Bravo and you're in infantry and then you go to airborne school and then you go to ranger battalion and then you go to special forces and then you go to Delta I mean all of that like you said is a refining process and again it's not all or nothing I'm not saying everybody in the unit is you know the best moral person on earth but I definitely think that it it takes a certain type of person and you're doing a very specific intentional job. Yeah. It's not just running amok.
1: Yeah. And and also I wasn't running around like, Oh, woe is me. Right. I was, don't, if you're listening, don't take this the wrong way. I felt good about being good at my job. Yeah. As a Christian, like I'm training here. I'm, you know, I'm honing my skills in, I'm shooting well. I'm, in good physical condition I can carry the load I can keep up with the mission I can do all those things and so there is a sense of even in a worst case scenario where you have to kill someone it's like yes I did my job and I did it well mm-hmm. um to the glory of God it might be hard for some people to hear I understand that but I'm like yes yeah I could be proud of what I did and um I think, you know, like killing is sensationalized, you know, in our media, it's sensationalized in movies, it's video games. I mean, you name it, right? And everybody, you know, everybody kind of like sort of this fantasy, of you know, the, uh, you know, rainbow six or Mm -hmm. call of duty and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, it's not real life. I can, I mean, I'll share the, the first, a guy I saw get shot. I didn't personally shoot him, but the guy that I watched basically bleed out, we'd, this was on my first rotation, and we were entering this house, and I was kind of probably fifth or sixth guy coming through the door, but as I was coming through the door, I heard the shots, right, from one of my guys. And as I get in the, the door and kind of get some situational awareness, kind of seeing this dude run up the stairwell, and then I think what's different, Maybe about the unit than some other places, you actually pursue the hostility, right? You you run towards wherever the gunfire's at. You know, you kind of pursue that threat so you can get rid of it. And come in, and the guy who had engaged the, you know, the combatant going up the stairs, um, I was hot on his heels. And so he was chasing the guy that he had just engaged going up the stairwell. The guy had a gun and was going up the stairwell. And so we chased him up and then into the bedroom, the guy still had enough left in him to close the door and lock it. And then, so we got to the door and placed an explosive charge on the door and, and made entry and kind of got in there. At that point, the guy was um, laying on his back on the bed. And I kind of remember just sitting there looking at him and uh, I can still kind of picture him um, in my mind. And I can still smell his blood you know, that that blood smell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember just we'd finished clearing the room and uh, making sure there was, not you know, no other hostiles in the room. And, and then just for that split second, kind of looking down at that guy laying on the bed and watching him turn gray color, you know, as the life was leaving his body. And I remember looking in his eyes and watching the life leave him and just – and that blood, and just sitting there thinking to myself, what a shame, you know. You know what a shame.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yet we kind of sensationalize stuff like that in our media, and it's like it's a game, becomes a video game. I'm like, well, we had to do our jobs, and that guy lost his life, but you just kind of still look at that, and it's like,
0: mm. well, yeah, and having having the Holy Spirit in you, looking at that person, is another. Human, yeah, you know, good. Yeah, finish what you were gonna say. No, I was just saying it. You know, it it gives you a different perspective. Yeah, you know, it's not glorified. It's not something you like doing. It's not something that feels good.
1: There were times later on in the war where I struggled with that. Meaning, looking at a human being and seeing a person oh, a I'm God's sure. image, like I really struggled with, you know, some of those guys. It was like, you're an, you're an animal. Yeah. Some of the things that they were doing, you know what I mean? It was almost like a, yeah, like a hunt, you know, hunting an animal. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's on killing. Like, how how could I do something like that as a Christian? It's like, well, I could do it pretty good, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, and be okay with it, right? I felt like we, we took the moral high ground. We gave the people many opportunities to do the right things they they've been given the opportunities to do the right things and they continue to make bad
0: choices it reminds me of uh you know uh Noah and the ark you know uh, and so many stories of the old testament where god has uh given uh god has given you know people plenty of chances um to you know repent turn do the right thing and at the end of the day when you don't make the right choices yeah, bad things happen mm-hmm.
1: yeah so I think I'd like to just now that we've kind of gone over the the killing part and you know what was it like to, to be in, in the unit what was it like to be in Delta I mean I don't know there's a couple different ways to answer that question I mean I enjoyed it a lot of it absolutely it was great to work with that caliber of, um, of people and kind of that mission set was great, um, but there was a dark side to it, not so much the I would say the, the killing part to, for me, that personally wasn't kind of like difficult. Um, it was living under this shadow of death, and what people don't know is that um, like every moment well I said not every moment but every time before we deployed you kind of had to go through this process and, and and this process was, you know, like everybody else in the army, you know, you you kinda make sure your will's good to go, you you know, make sure all your insurance policies, all those things are up to date. Um, and then we did what was called a burial worksheet. So you literally, like every six months, had to sit there and plan your own funeral. And we would do um, kind of play-by-play. Play. And, and really what it was, it was like, yeah, yeah, you can get killed on this one. Um, and so we need to make sure that your your last wishes are captured. And, and that was a play-by-play. Play. So every six months, I'm sitting here pulling out the old burial worksheet and planning my funeral um, who's going to be my pallbearers who's going to give my eulogy um, who's going to give flowers to my wife who's going to give the the flag to my wife um, all those things um, and that was just that was reality you know what I mean I, for me I, I can't speak for any of the other guys but that was in the beginning you know you do things and you're like okay yeah it's just man, it's the way it goes but as the war progressed things got more dangerous right in the beginning you know you kind of go after these regime guys who are you know softies that's whatever they didn't really want to fight and then as the foreign fighter network kicks in in western iraq you know those guys want to fight and kind of going up against dudes who are willing to die for their cause and in the summer of 2005 at this point I probably been deployed one two three four four different times four or five different times by 2005 and in the summer of 2005 was pretty difficult um we started losing guys um i'd been out and um on an fob with um, some of the guys and we were doing missions with them and I remember one of them he had older guy family everything and remember he had cooked me a fried egg sandwich and we had kind of shared that together and shared a meal and we were doing those missions together and then we went back to uh where we were based at we were kind of kind of spread out across the country and guys did doing different things and we had gone out on a target one night and as soon as we got back our our um, senior enlisted guy came out and was like hey guys out west got in a, a firefight and this guy got injured and this guy got injured we think they will be all right though okay yeah wasn't wasn't uncommon for guys to get shot up let's just face it you know I'm, i'd love to know what the rate of purple hearts is at that place i mean if you <laughs> there's when you go into the unit there's a hallway and it has working from the medal of honor to distinguished service cross to silver star to bronze star with ballard to purple hearts and
0: you have how many per bar? Just one. Okay. I just
1: got one, thankfully. Four bronze stars, is that right? Um, I've got um, seven total. So <laughs> I've got a, a bronze star with Valor, and then I've got six other bronze stars to go with that. Um, yeah, so it wasn't uncommon for guys to uh, get shot, you know, and, you know, recover and kind of come back maybe next rotation or whatever that was. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah, so-and-so got shot. It's fine. And so we – Kind of finish up, go take our equipment off and after every mission we do the after action review and we go in and, and so uh he comes in, and he's like, Hey, both those guys just died We're like, What? <laughs> you just you just said that they got shot and everything was gonna be okay and, and now you're coming in and telling us that they both they both died. So it's like, Okay And that's that was that was that rotation. We lost multiple guys and that's when things just kind of started accumulating right it's like crap man you know and I would later you know talk to Alyssa this is more recent when I finally got ready uh, to talk about my career and the hard things like I knew what I was getting into I trained for it kind of plamo my own funeral many many times over you know and it was another to have Alyssa involved in that mm. and then later Jackson um, and so we we sat and we had a conversation about that summer of of 2005 and what life was like for her back home and they just you know the wives they have the wives network and When things, you know, happen, they kind of put the word out. And uh, anyways, so those deaths that summer while we were while we were deployed, Alyssa said that when she was back home, she always every night made sure the house was clean, Mm -hmm. made sure, you know, I guess she had her outfit kind of laid out or whatever, and you, you kind of that dread. Of the last thing you want to see is like two guys in uniform standing outside your door. That's the that's the death mark. And so she was kind of living in that world like every night. Like I wonder, you know, if they're gonna show up at my front door. That was very hard for me to hear. Um but that was reality. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of lived in that world of yeah death could be around the corner and we did that over and over and over again it got more and more difficult with Jack when Jackson came on board because now here I am you know daddy daddy if I get killed and it's Alyssa you know of course she's gonna grieve and get over it and she'll find you know uh, another husband and, and
0: they'll kind of get I'm sure she wasn't thinking that yeah was. they'll get on
1: with their life that's what I'm thinking right yeah, yeah maybe she's not thinking that I don't know um, anyways but add a kid into the mix that starts changing things a little bit
0: and what year do you have him?
1: Um, Jackson was born in 2007 so I was well into it at that point mm-hmm. you know we were we're definitely getting getting into some action and stuff and yeah that changed that changed things for me quite a bit because of leaving leaving him and or what i didn't share in my original story is like growing up wasn't all that good mm-hmm. um, my dad kind of abandoned us and i you know, had his own struggles and stuff and my parents got um uh, i were actually married and divorced twice they gave it a second go-round and that didn't work out either and, so I just had this fear, you know, for Jackson. I'm like, man, I I grew up without my dad. I don't want him to mm. I did not want that for him.
0: Yeah. So you have this added fear now injected into the the mix.
1: Oh yeah. You know. Um, so here we are. So every every deployment, man, was just um, kind of gut-wrenching leaving. Alyssa and I had this the normal way we would say goodbye and it was it was hard because you know you can never you know the air force isn't like delta airlines you know you can you can depend on them to you know when they depart you know for 98 percent of the time it's hey we're leaving at 10 o'clock at night you know you're leaving at 10 o'clock at night so they would typically give us a window within 24 to 36 hours like hey guys be up on your pagers you know on you know by sunday um We'll, we'll be leaving sometime between Sunday and say Tuesday depending on when the plane gets here and uh yeah Alyssa and I would we kind of just got in this routine and it was just real hard and I, I think like there was a two-week window leading up into every deployment where I was just like we just enter into this this real just felt very oppressive kind of doom and gloom almost and so we would pretend I guess that everything was okay and you know the day that it came time to leave we would you know she would take me into work and uh, she would drop me off and I would tell her I'll see you later We, we both agreed not to ever say goodbye we just said I'll see you later and that was kind of it you know she drop me off and i'd go in <laughs> you kind of look at all the other guys and just kind of get that sense you know for a little while after everyone was dropped off just kind of a quietness in the team rooms guys were thinking about things and i don't know always wondered if we were all thinking the same things it was kind of like probably so yeah and then and then you flip that switch and you compartmentalize, and it's time to go to work. And you get over there, and you kind of get into it, and, you know, just sort of gets into a routine. And when your time's up, you come home. And for us, coming home, there's really no you know, ticker tape parades and all that stuff. You just kind of, you kind of slip out, and you slip back in. Go turn your equipment in, make sure everything's secure, and... I'd give us a call and be like, hey, come pick me up. She'd come pick me up and we'd celebrate, you know, there it was. The clock was ticking again, mm. you know, time to go. You know, I just, it was just that.
0: It's rep- brutal. Yeah,
1: it was very brutal, you know, over and over and over again. I think
0: people need to understand, you know, that's the sacrifice that people make. It's not just the war. It's not just the killing. It's not just all that. its It's the in-between tension that's ever present. You know, the, the clock that's ticking in the background, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and people talk about, hey, did you come home and reintegrate? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs>
0: right. I mean, literally, I'm
1: literally 36 hours before over there, we conduct operations up until the very last minute. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: There's no debrief in two months at somewhere. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah to come home and, you know a wants to talk about what's going on, right? Like, hey, what's going on right now, not, hey, how is your deployment? <laughs>
0: right. I mean, She's like your kids just, you know, trying to learn to potty train and, yeah. I just I want to like drive that home and give you a,
1: everyone listening a sense of what I'm talking about. So our deployment cycle is coming to an end. The guys replacing us had gotten there and they were kind of getting their intel briefs and getting themselves ready to kind of switch out with us. And that night we go out on a mission and dude on target you know pulls a pistol out and just starts kind of blazing and and um, anyways you know take care of take care of that issue and we get back and as soon as we kind of get the thumbs up like the incoming guys they've got it okay now it's time for us to take our kit off and what i mean is our vest where you carry your you know your bulletproof plates and you've got your magazines and your grenades and just your explosive charges and all that stuff you take all that out and you unload all that and you leave it in place for those guys put your stuff in a bag and an hour later you know you're getting on a helicopter that's going to take you to the airplane that's going to take you home and so we finished this mission about to go get on the helicopters to fly home and i'm sitting there unloading pulling my magazines out of my my vest and unloading my mag and getting the ammo out of my magazines that the guy sitting here next to me is doing the same thing right getting ready to go home he pulls a a magazine out of his plate carrier and a, and a nine mil slug comes out with it right so he's on the mission that night you know he entered into the room where the guy is shooting and his bulletproof vest he didn't even know it had stopped that nine mil slug and that thing was mushroomed out like a like a bullet does. And for a moment, you know, it's just like tragic comedy sort of like we we both saw what happened. I literally as he was pulling it out, the slug comes falling out of his plate carrier on the floor right there next to me in between us. And I looked at him and I was like, Did you realize that happened? he's like, No. I was like, Okay. And that was it. You know, it just kind of like, all right, whatever. And we finish unloading our magazines and, and we get on a, a plane and, and then, you know, 24 hours I'm at home. Like, that's, did you process that? And I'm like, no, no, there's no processing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, did you come home and integrate well with your family? It's like, what are you talking about? Like I turned all my guns in, Right. I'm leaving that there. I would just want to go home and see my family. Yeah, so there was no reintegration. There was no, like, you know, family's waiting for you, you know, signs. You know, like I said, you kind of slip out and you slip back in. That's that life. Mm-hmm. Then you go home. Um, anyway, that's that's what life was like. So as all my friends, you know, were doing their 10-year reunion at high school and stuff, I'm kind of over there and that's that sort of life, you know, living in this world of, constant fear of, of death and you don't know if the next room you go into like a, you know they're going to be and they're waiting for you with the machine gun you know or you're you know what, what are you going to encounter like what's am i coming home from this one am i not coming home from this one um so yeah i guess we could go we could go on and yeah, on yeah. so um, you
0: so you do that i mean it's great i could listen to you forever um so you you do that and you do how many deployments total
1: um i think i racked up about 10 okay yeah some of them were different capacities most of them were like fighting yeah um situations
0: anything within that before we get into current kind of i'm gonna i know we want to talk about current news and the current situation but anything within the scope of your military stuff that you want to touch on
1: no man um you're ready to cry for a second um
0: I mean, you've already made me cry like five times. So. Yeah,
1: this one, will, this one will hurt you. I'm gonna try to
0: come. Hold my breath. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, this is hard. This is very hard. Jackson was, you know, he was born in 2007. So a lot of those years, he's just, you know, he's an infant, right? You, like, I don't know how that's affecting him. Yeah. Is he picking up on this? He was a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old? Um, my last deployment was by far the hardest for a number of reasons um but he was finally jackson was finally at the age of like he knew right dad is going somewhere that is not safe got this picture i could show you of like he's like hey you know dad drew you this picture and it's a picture of a building with bad guys in it and missiles coming down on the building (laughs) you think kids don't know what's going on yeah they get it yeah (laughs) <laughs> anyway so we're kind of two things with this There's like There's in that moment and then years later Jackson tells me this this is just happened probably three or four weeks well, I'll say about a month ago but we, we roll up and uh, Alyssa and I are doing our goodbyes our our thing and you know Jackson just he grabs a hold of me and he's like don't go dad don't go and he just starts getting irate and emotional daddy don't go don't go don't go and I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is killing me. This is killing me. Um, I l- literally had to peel him off of me and put him in the van and close the door with him beating on the window, crying, mm.
0: Dad, don't go.
1: Whew. And uh, that was hard. So, yeah, 2012. Fast forward about a month and a half ago had the opportunity to go back to Fort Bragg as a family I've gone um I I went back there a couple times um but we have not gone back to Fort Bragg as a family by the way Ainsley's born in 2012 so that that deployment was horrible Lissa's pregnant with Ainsley you got Jackson so you got that whole dynamic going on um
0: praise god that was the last one
1: yeah that was a hard one um I wish we had more time to talk about that, but anyway. Oh, you got to talk about it, talk about it. Yeah, no, it's, so fast forward, here we are a month or so ago. We get an opportunity to go back to Fort Bragg and see some of our friends and old friends that we knew for a very long time and whatnot, and so we're there, right? And one of the traditions that we had, I had with Jackson is, you know, on his birthday, we happened to live just down the road from Krispy Kreme. Uh, which I know that you people from Louisiana, specifically Shreveport, don't have an appreciation for Krispy Kreme. Southern uh, made around Southern here. Southern made. I was so disappointed when I showed up here. <laughs> what a failure. What a failure, Shreveport. Where's your Krispy Kreme? Actually, if you look like when we got here in 2016, you could look it up and, and it would give you directions to it. And when we showed up, it was all boarded up. Oh, like, man, what a tragedy. A sad day. Yeah. Anyway, so Speaking we. Speaking of triggers. Yeah, Triggered. Um, so I would take Jackson on his birthday, and we would go to Krispy Kreme. It was one of the actual places where they made the donuts, so you could sit there and watch them, you know, glaze the donuts and everything. It was just one of those cool things that I got to do with the kids. And we stopped at this place called uh, Smithfield Barbecue, where we had uh, a barbecue sandwich. That's, that's its own thing, and um, it's the first place of listen I ate when we pulled up to fort bragg and thought we were getting a chip beef barbecue sandwich and if you've ever had a south carolina or carolina style barbecue sandwich it's pulled pork with vinegar based sauce and in my mind i'm like oh i cannot wait to bite into this thing this is gonna be so good i'm thinking brisket you know and i bite into it and i just about gagged and threw up and so did Alyssa, but over the years it kind of that barbecue grew on us that flavor did and so we do, we do Smithville barbecue you know when we pull into Fayetteville and then the next stop Krispy Kreme Donuts and I'm like alright kids we're going to Krispy Kreme and Jackson's like I don't want to go I'm like am I talking to my son you don't want to go to Krispy Kreme Donuts like what's happening here son you don't how old is he he's right now he's 14 yeah. so he's 14 years old he's like I, I don't can, can we not go to Krispy Kreme Donuts and I'm like no son that is a tradition we will not break tradition we're going to Krispy Kreme Donuts so we go to Krispy Kreme Donuts I'm sitting there ordering and he's nowhere to be found and neither is Alyssa and Ainsley I'm like where is everybody so she comes Alyssa comes around the corner and I'm like where's Jackson she goes he's in the bathroom crying what's he crying about I don't know just memories and uh, so he comes out we get our donuts we get in the car and I'm like hey man you okay? He's like, yeah, it just brings back memories. I'm like, okay. All right. It's okay. I kind of reach back there and kind of tap him on a leg. And Anyway, we're driving down the road and uh, he's like, let's see if I can do this without uh, choking him. He's like, Dad, I'm glad you don't deploy anymore. I'm like, yeah. Is that right? He's like, yeah. So why is that, son? He's like, well, I used to cry myself to sleep, wishing you were home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, man, that really that hurt. I mean, it didn't hurt, but it was like, man, my my son was going through that evidently he was um he had never told me that and i guess hearing him say that was like man i can't believe that so yeah
0: family i love that he felt safe enough to tell you now though oh
1: yeah like our our relationship has definitely grown i've gone through my you know through my issues and um you know, coming back home and kind of dealing with some of that, some of that stuff after the fact. But anyway, I thought I would share that, um, that life isn't as glamorous as people think. Yeah. You know, so,
0: so tell me about retiring and kind of where you've moved up until now. How about that? Can we move to that?
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: Like, tell me kind of, um, I know some of it, but what, what have you been, have you been healing? Have you been working through these things? You know, to spend some time there, and then we'll dive into the current Afghanistan thing, which is what brings us here.
1: My goodness, how many hours have we been talking about?
0: Uh, we're about three. We're in three right now. Three hours. Yeah. Okay. We cover the rest in about thirty minutes.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to a moment, in Afghanistan. When I think about my Christian life, there's three real kind of pivotal moments. The first one being in in Steve Barry's office. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? Where God's like, "Hey, I'm here," right? Um, the second one was in Afghanistan. That last rotation. So in between kind of those kind of bookends, if you will, there was a lot going on. Um, kind of where my heart was at, and I want you to think of it as, as believers were kind of these things all at the same time: were were uh, sinners, sufferers, and saints. And saints. What I mean is like. In Christ, right? We could never be more saved than we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, sinners, and that yeah, we still are sinning, and you know, struggling with the flesh and everything, and then suffers, and we're kind of that sins being heaped on us, or just we're exposed to things outside of our control, like war, things of those, you know, sickness or whatnot, and so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, um, and as the war progresses. Um, that's really, you know, the stressors are really pressing in on me. Um, dad was an issue. Um, tried to reconcile with him. I was able to reconcile with my dad um, when I was home on leave. And This was a December. My brother and I go and talk to our dad and kind of sort of in a loving way confront him about the things that we had to deal with um, right before deployment. And... So I go back to Fort Bragg and I deploy. And like two months into the deployment, my, you know, Troop Sergeant Major comes in and is like, hey, come here. I need to come outside. I need to talk to you. And so he's like, hey, you, you need to call home. Your dad died. Mm. And so I was whew, devastated. Um, that was going on in the background around, you know, 2005 was a hard summer. People dying, dad dies. Um, it was just, it was a crappy time. You know, I didn't respond well to it. And so I just kind of got, started getting back in the old ways, man. Uh, drinking, um, dealing with that stuff, um, getting involved in some other things. And my marriage was a wreck. Um, people probably back home didn't know that. And we didn't, we lived a compartmented life. And, you know just things kind of kept going I felt like downhill uh, to the point where you know here we are in 2012 and I'm uh, pretty convinced they got it you know was like okay I'm, I'm kind of done with your shenanigans you know with the things you're dealing with and I'm like frustrated too so as I'm going into Afghanistan and that deployment all of this is at play my failures right the stressors of of war over and over and over again um my marriage falling apart alcohol just everything like god's just had enough of me man he's had enough of this stuff and uh, so i went into afghanistan with just this kind of sense of dread i'm like yeah i feel like the judgment of god kind of coming down on me and I was like, surely, you know, this is probably, this is the deployment, right? I've made it this far, you know, um, kind of got you know, got scraped up one night and whatnot in the summer of 05, and so anyways, I'm just, I'm convinced that like, God's got it out for me, and so we get over there, and just really been struggling with that, and there's a... There's this verse. There's like this little ceramic leaf um, that one of Alyssa's friends, one of our really good friends, her name's Erica, and she gave it to Alyssa to give to me, probably in the, in the beginning of our struggles, and it was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. And so I'd carried that thing with me, and you know I'm like, okay, you know this is this verse, just trying to hang on to it, and going going to Afghanistan and. things were not good getting to some situations in afghanistan you know it's like man this is going to be a tough one and anyways so one night we were planning this operation and from all appearances it looked like a sort of a foreign fighter profile and i knew that we were potentially going into uh, a hot hlz and at that point um it's a hot landing zone. Hot landing zone. Yeah. And the planning I was a team leader at the time and so we were able to plan our own operations and we we tell the aircraft, the helicopter pilots, I want you to put me down here. Like we kind of are the ones facilitating all that stuff. And so, um, there was a it looked to be maybe like a fighting position on the edge of this field and the helicopter pilots came in and us team leaders we looked at it and we're like okay we're gonna you know we're gonna set in security here blah 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 and so where do you want jeremy where do you want to put your team down and so on that corner kind of southeast corner of the the target compound i'm like we need to set our helicopter down right there and take care of that right now if we have to immediately because we had other the bigger helos landing you know a little bit further away and we would take those little helicopters where you could fit you're right on the outside of them, they call them little birds, and you sit on the outside and the pilots are flying this thing and like you're their security. Like they have no security. Their job is to fly and your job is to secure them if needed. So I looked at the helicopter pot. I was like, hey man, I want you to put me down right there. <laughs> and he looked at me and he's, okay. I was like, alright. You trust me? And he's like, yeah. I was like, alright, this is a machine gun. I'll take care of it right trust me just put me down right there and um he said okay all right let's do it and so we plan and make my way out to the 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 helicopter kind of hlz where all the helicopters are staged and go sit down on the the aircraft and it's pitch black you know got my nods down walking out you know onto the flight line those are night vision, goggles. night vision goggles yeah so you can see in the dark <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm going with my team and we're loading up on this little bird right we do our checks i'm sitting up front um got a guy behind me there's another two guys on the other side you can kind of see them through the little cutout behind the pilots i look across my guy gives me the thumbs up and then i reach up and squeeze the pilot's thumb and that's how we all communicated that we're set and ready to go and I got on my radio and I said you know we're set and it was like okay salt we're set and then we all kind of picked up and so we I'm sitting here thinking it again right about death and just everything all my failure and as we are kind of lift, lifting off in that pitch black Flying over the uh, the desert, heading to the objective. Um, it was a moment where like that verse just popped in my head. And I think for the first time ever, I actually believed that that was true. But God wasn't angry with me, didn't have it out for me. And in that moment, I think flying out... <clears throat> across that airfield that was like at peace after all that stuff and that was a pivotal moment for me um, after all those years and I think for people that are watching and listening you have to understand that was 2012 that was after nine years of combat and all those experiences kind of you know, fell into my marriage and just all that stuff. Kinda of kids. Kids. I mean everything, right? And yeah, the Lord spoke to me, um, in that moment. It's like, No, I I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're not evil. I've got a future and a hope for you. It turns out we landed in and it was just dude sleeping in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh Anyway, (laughs) I will tell you that later in that deployment, we were tracking a dude, a high-value target, um, on a daylight operation. And I knew, like, my team, we were walking into a daylight ambush. And these guys were kind of down in this ravine. And anyways, not to keep everything going longer and longer, but, man, we got in this spot in this deep ravine and... Like just me and my team and we had the other teams up on an overwatch position and you know, this dude opens up with us or opens up on us with a machine gun. I'm having a conversation with my I'm the team leader, right? And I've got my two I C, which is the second in charge on the team, and something happens to me, he he takes the team. And <laughs> so he's up front leading the team out. And I'm behind my guys making sure everybody's where they need to be at. I've got some Afghanis behind me. And so we get to a point we take a knee. And I walk up to my number two, and he's sitting there on point And we're looking, you know, 70 meters, maybe 50, 70 meters, at what we think where the guy's at, that group of dudes is at. And I kind of look at Dave, and there's no more distance between the two of us having this conversation of a foot maybe. And so I turn and I look at him, and I'm like, all right, man, how are we going to kick this one off? You know? And he kind of looks at me, and uh, as we're deliberating, on, we're going to throw a grenade, or like, how are we going to get this party started? Uh, the guy opens up on us, and just bullets are flying everywhere. And so what we did to save weight on our kid, is instead of carrying a bunch of water, we would take like these water bottles, these little small water bottles that you get from um, you know, Walmart, and you'd take it, and you'd take rubber bands and you rubber band it to the back of your kit and whenever you got to the point where you're thirsty you pull that thing out you drink it and then just trash it that guy was shooting so close to us that he shot and blew up the water bottle on the back of dave's back Mm. (laughs) (laughs) right yeah it is um there's dirt kicking up all over the place and i remember we all kind of roll off and roll off the side we're on this real narrow ridge line going down into where this guy's at and there's comedy in combat mm-hmm. I promise you there's comedy I've told a lot of like sad stories and stuff but I look up and my interpreter the guy just at that point becomes one with the ground but he's still on the ridge line right and there's you know dirt kicking up all around us and, I, and I'm, I've got smart enough at least to get all out of the kill zone right and I'm looking around, checking on my guys. Like, where's everybody at? You know, my boss is calling me on the radio, like, Hey, is that you guys shooting? And I'm like, no, they're shooting at us. <laughs> oh, okay. And so they start firing down on the position and I look back at, at my Afghan turp and that dude's like, you know, like a crime scene, just <laughs> laid there plastered against the ground. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, get off the ridge line, you know, get out of the, the line of fire. And anyways i I tell that story. it just God continued um, to you know drive that point home over you know and over again on that particular deployment and um, delivered me and delivered the guys um, uh, in that particular moment and uh, we I left there and left the guys and uh, anyways they they finished out their trip and had a tragedy there at the end but anyway um that was it man that was a pivotal moment for me because i'd all those years had just had that build up of like my worth to god was in what i was doing my ability to be good enough right my ability to you know and i just couldn't i couldn't be good enough I was being bad. And God was just like, nope, nope, I love you. It's per- period.
0: It's period. 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 So, stuff.
1: yeah, I came home and then I decided to retire. Uh, I kind of dropped it on the list. I'd, I'd had enough, man. I'd had enough. My resiliency had kind of been broken at that point. And, I was starting to experience um, some of the mild traumatic brain injury stuff going on at that point. Um, sleeping was always a problem, but it really got bad. After that rotation, I decided, okay, I went upstairs, I finished my kind of time as the operations sergeant major, and told the bosses, like, I'm done, man. It's time to retire. And I went over and was uh, director of our language program. We decided to go ahead and pick up Arabic somewhere along the way that I learned, um, so I speak a little bit of Arabic.
0: Um. So you move through retirement. Yep, yeah, move through retirement, and then the wheels sort of come, start coming off. What what happened with you say TBR? What is it, TBI and
1: yeah, uh, traumatic brain injuries. Right. Uh, not traumatic in like a single event where you have a major concussive event where you're knocked out and you know something's wrong so our sort of our population suffers from a a number of mild concussive events over a long period of time and what what you end up getting is a guy with our explosive charges inside houses and heavy weapons going off and stuff. And you, you get an accumulation of that and then you kind of get mild traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. And so as I, as I'm retiring, yeah, the wills are kind of properly falling off at that point. And I go to a program up in uh, DC at Walter Reed. It's called NICO, the national intrepid center of excellence And they were really mandated by Congress to, like, what is going on with, you know, TBI and PTSD? Those were the two things, the two main issues going on. And so I went through this program and was diagnosed with uh, mild traumatic brain injuries. You know, they take an image of your brain, and I had some dark spots on my brain where I had damage Um, from all those years of you know being around those explosions and each guy's different some dudes had like six black spots on their brain and yeah but i was um it was interesting because we had kind of started this like wellness program with and incorporated eating you know nutrition working out everything and so we were wearing these fitbits right and so i'm wearing my fitbit and i would go to bed at nighttime, and i would wake up and this thing would be like hey man you got a solid eight hours of sleep you're a 98 percent um rested and i'd wake up man and i was exhausted every night i was dreaming about work (laughs) you were talking about what's normal and wasn't it what isn't normal so i'm up in NYCO, and i'm telling these people i'm like yeah i just yeah i go to bed every night and i just dream about work like what are you dreaming about and i'm like well i don't know i'm I'm fighting and killing and you know i'm packing my bags to go on deployments it started off like maybe once a week on occasion and it just like every night i'm having these dreams and i was like are you having nightmares and i'm like (laughs) those aren't nightmares, man. They're just work. And he's like, you're having nightmares. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, you call them whatever you want to. It might be a nightmare to you, but to me, that's, you know, work. Um, I was having night sweats. I'd wake up and just the sheets would be just drenched, absolutely soaked. And anyway, I go to, you know, we're trying to figure all that stuff out. And I left that program and I was probably on three or four different drugs. And, you know, for, anxiety depression you know trying to get some sleep and any number of things you know and that was sort of retirement so I get out and the army tries to fix me the best they can and we get this job that I'm in right now and Melissa and I kind of get settled in here and, and, and starts another kind of season for us and we're out, up into leaving and then up into this point where. Yeah, you know, I've tried a number of different things to help out with the the traumatic brain injuries and um, some of the you know the PTSD, PTS, post-traumatic stress, and some of that's you know been successful.
0: But what would you recommend? What's been the most helpful recently?
1: Yeah, so i After all that I've gone through in the last five years and and kind of that retirement process and have been exposed to different treatments and everything, I would would recommend that you kind of take a look at two things. When God created us, He created a spirit and body. Um, And so those two things really kind of have, I don't know, this interlocking effect. And so for me, there was a, a physiological side to that. I was absolutely having some issues, um, with the brain and what those concussive events do to you over time is they, is they damage the pituitary gland and the, and the endocrine system. And so what you'll typically see in our population of guys is, you know, a a decrease in testosterone and kind of your hormones just really get out of whack and they just kind of crash. And what's been helpful to that is I got um, involved in a in a program where they come in and they kind of test your all your hormone levels and they kind of get you back up to um, a, a normal steady state and, and what's that called? uh warrior warrior health Foundation okay so he's actually a SEAL a team six guy that got out and um, kind of dedicates himself now to making sure guys are getting their hormones um, balanced out cool yeah warrior Health Foundation. And when I got on that, that probably had um the like the quickest result, so as soon as I got my hormones balanced, man, I can't tell you huh, how long it had been since I had had a full night's sleep
0: mm-hmm.
1: a decade of like sleeping straight through the night would just would be broken sleep um Anyways, I'd been in the program probably about three months, and man, I slept through the night once. I'm like, this is wow, what is this? Uh, you know. And then the next night, I slept through the night again, and then the next night again. You know, um, and I was like, all right, we we've got a pattern here. And so I found that to be real helpful with kind of the sleep and everything, and you know, some of the the aches and pains. You can't carry around that kind of gear and do what we did without. You know, damage in the body, so a lot of that chronic pain in my back and and everything. It, it kind of helps out with that. So that you know, that's one avenue that was very helpful. We kind of got settled in here at uh, at church, Norse Ferry is where we go, and there was a a guy that was our community group leader, Jordan, and I just really felt this need to begin talking to somebody about all that stuff, everything, um, primarily in the beginning, just and you know kind of my moral you know failures and and everything and kind of starting to work through that and so I talked to Jordan one day and he's like hey I I want to help you out but I think you should probably go you know talk to this guy so I started talking to David Alston over at uh, Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries and David and I've been on this program now for you know three three years I think we've been together and man we've covered a lot of ground so I mean counseling and being able to look back at all those years and kind of reprocess that and look at it through the lens of Scripture and who God and who Christ really is, you know, for us in those moments. Um, I began to see Christ suffering with me in those moments, and that's how where so I was able to start begin to process that trauma and with war and in my marriage and all those things at a specific moment recently where I just man I was at my wits end uh listen and I were having some major problems and I was dealing with anger and just a number of things, and I went out to one of the guys we get a church with he has got a farm on this oxbow his name's Mr. Smitherman. And i'd I'd ask him I was like man i I need a place to go out and just be alone. like I don't want anybody to be near me. I just want to be by myself and so one of the one of the ways that a thing that really has brought me comfort even in combat is when I was a kid, you know part of that adventurous nature is I'd be out we we lived in the country and I would be out just in the pasture at nighttime. the moon would be out you kind of have that cool breeze. And I just remember that being a really kind of good place for me as a kid. And I found those moments in combat where I'd be, our team was always responsible for creating routes. And so there was a period of time where I was the point man. And my job was to create a route to get us in to where we needed to go. And so I would be this point man. And in those moments, I'd kind of lose You know, still have situational awareness, but I found a peace being out there, and just I felt like I was by myself, walking point, kind of leading everybody up. And we'd walk through these pastures and smell the manure and just the earth smell and everything. Just really kind of took me back, and I needed a place like that. And Mr. Smitherman let me go out there, and I just it was a it was a critical moment for me because I just needed to be able to cry out to God and be like, God, all this stuff. I'd gone through a a, a treatment don't really kind of trauma treatment um, don't need to talk about it right now, but in that in that treatment, this was about a month before I found myself out at Smitherman's place. Um, started having these uh, flashbacks and stuff in this treatment, and started seeing dead people. Dead faces, stuff like that. Um, and so I get out at Smitherman's place and I'm walking around and just, man, I'm like, all right, God, I'm, I'm coming out here to meet with you. I hope you show up because I've got a lot to talk about. So I get out at Smitherman's farm and walk around, and crying and talking about. Stuff you know as a child and my dad and talking about war and you know all the loss and the death um, think about listening to kids my marriage and what a wreck it had become and I've been reading uh, about Jesus at Lazarus's tomb and prior to that, and I just as I was driving out to Smitherman's farm that afternoon, about 5 o'clock, and getting out there as it was getting dark and just kind of walking the property just by myself, that scripture really just kind of took root in me. And I'd, I'd done a study on that particular scripture where, you know, Christ is standing at Lazarus, Lazarus's tomb and he's taking a survey of the situation and he's, and he's looking out and he's got his friend that's dead buried in this tomb he looks at Mary and Martha his sisters and they're heartbroken and welling just an immense amount of pain and the scripture says that he was like moved in the spirit and and kind of the interpretation of that I think in the Greek and I'm no Greek scholar for sure I can, we can talk about the roots in Arabic if you want to but my understanding is the interpretation of that phrase he was moved in his spirit was more of this indignation and I was actually talking to Elston before I came over here just you know talking some things through and he kind of provided a little bit more insight to that he's like yeah um, you have the creator Standing there at this moment in history, and none of us have that perspective, right? You have Jesus the Incarnate, who was present at creation, and he saw what creation looked like. It was perfect, you know it was good um He saw what Adam and Eve were like in their perfect state, and then now here he is. Incarnate, standing in flesh on a fallen earth, and he's taking the survey out in front of him of what's going on, and he's indignant about what he's looking at, and he cries. This is the the shortest verse in the Bible, but probably the most profound, most impactful for me in that moment, because. I felt when everything kind of came crashing down, all of it, everything, you know. I'm out at Smitherman's Farm, and, you know, when I walked into Steve Berry's office, it's like Jesus was like, hey, I'm here, I'm here. That night flying over Afghanistan, it's like I heard Jesus say, I love you. I think that night at uh, Smitherman's farm, I didn't hear him say anything um, but in my heart, and you know, it's like um, I did hear him weeping as the you know as he looks over at the landscape of my life, I told you I was sinner, sufferer, and saint and in that moment. I see Jesus looking at my sin and weeping over that. I see him looking at my suffering, you know, as a soldier, as a husband and father, all those things as a as a child, you know, growing up and the ways that I'd suffered then. He's weeping over that. And in that moment, man, I just felt this Real closeness uh, to the Lord, and you know, Jesus stops crying, and he goes and he raises Lazarus from from the grave, and and he doesn't stop there, you know. He he marches into Jerusalem, and gets nailed to the cross, and like that night, I kind of felt like it's it's like what the Lord was like all right, I'll take this. I know what to do with this. It's what I do. Um, Jesus is good at rescuing us. And, yeah, it was a, a pivotal moment for me. I finally saw, you know, Christ, you know, suffering with me hurting for for me, hurting with me. And like the Lord was there with me absorbing that guilt and that shame and that trauma and doing something about it. And yeah. That was a good night. I plan on going and meeting with the Lord and Doing some more. He was he was there. He was there. He did more than you could ever imagine. Right, yeah. And uh, that kind of leads me up to kind of where we're at right now. Um, So what do I hear now? There's a verse in the Bible that says that he sings over us. And so
0: I I hear singing now. And so what's that done for your parenting, your marriage? Well, it's... um,
1: changed a lot I'm seeing through fresh eyes um, it's given me the ability to to look on others with compassion you know when you know when the kids are having a bad day or when is having a bad day it's like hey it's okay right it'll be okay I'll be okay not really angry you know about things or get agitated or irritated really quickly I feel like just more of a calm like okay it'll be all right um my marriage is better than it's ever been and we went through a really tough season and yeah a lot of a lot of forgiveness um, I've been forgiven for much and I'm thankful for much um, I know now that, you know, there's the being sinned against is one thing, and you have to deal with that. But then there's also, okay, well, I'm still kind of confronted with the fact that I'm not going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, news flash, news Christi- new Christians, you're not going to be perfect. Right. Right? I struggled with that for years and still continue to with that. But now I know that when I do fall, there's not an angry god on the other side of that conversation it's a compassionate like the heartbeat of christ the more like the deeper we get into something like his heart beats louder for us in that moment ready to forgive ready to to be there and so i'm not the prodigal son anymore who has to run away from home and wonder if the father loves me and I'm like yeah I screwed up, but I'll come back. And when I do, he's there, he's waiting. So it's forgiveness. Yeah, man. But not only that, man. There's there's strength. There's strength there. I, I don't think we should forget that. Like there's power, that resurrection power. When when Jesus raised, raised you know Lazarus from the dead, or when he was raised from the tomb. The Bible's pretty clear. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. And you know, I've been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's power. And what I found is that um, I'm more willing to be obedient to that kind of God who would sacrifice himself for me. And love me unconditionally. That's where change happens, and so I've seen that change in my own life coming, budding forth from this relationship with Christ and and His compassionate heart towards me, um, and my sinning and my suffering, and that unconditional love, you know, that you get.
0: It's good stuff, man. Yeah, I'm honored to be able to listen and to share in this, and I, I think. You can tell your story. Um, I know you've talked in small chunks with small people, but I'm honored to get to hear it and listen to it. And
1: yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're, I am in a good spot. It's good stuff. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to. I don't know what the Lord has next. Um, yeah, but I'm ready to, in a spiritual sense, get that armor back on, and and go fight. Time to go fight.
0: Yeah, which brings us to kind of current stuff Me and you've been talking the last couple of weeks about Afghanistan And, you know, the current triggers And I know you a lot like I have been uh, And people have asked, hey, how are you? How's it, how's it affecting you? And we've talked, me and you both talked Like, you know, you focus on the right kingdom But, um, so we're people out there who are wondering and struggling How do we respond as veterans? How do we respond as Christians? Can you talk a little bit about what we've talked about As far as um, that indignation then causing action?
1: Yeah. Um I really wanted to get a sort of a healthy perspective, making sure I'm not kind of thinking alone. <clears throat> so I reached out to uh, Steve Berry today and talked to him and you know, he's still he's still at it, man, doing the Lord's work. And I said, "Steve, I know you're you're probably talking to guys, I can't, you know, what one what is your take on this and then all the people you're talking to, like well, what are what are they struggling with?" Mm-hmm.
0: And, this is a chaplain that Yeah, you're-
1: Chaplain Steve Berry ranger steve berry uh, was recently in, in, inducted into the ranger hall of fame i was like man congratulations was awesome. like, man i don't know why i deserve to be in there i was like trust me it's well deserved <laughs> um, if anyone and so you know um you know I'm, I'm open to obviously correction or kind of you know am i thinking straight here and so i asked him i was like are, are people you know struggling with the question of was it worth it and he goes, man, not really. He goes, the, the, the people that I talk to, they're really struggling with how that investment is being handled right now. And I'm like, yeah, that strikes a chord in me, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, like, I don't have a, there's no issue with me, and I think maybe most veterans, and I would say if there's a veteran out there that's struggling with, like, hey, was it worth it kind of being there in Afghanistan and just this whole war um, absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. Our role as soldiers really is a kind of, we're imaging God out there and, and kind of protecting others and, you know, taking people out from under oppression really and giving them freedom. That is a picture of Christ and what he does in in our lives. But the thing that I struggle with and, and kind of talking with Steve is the, we're seeing that sacrifice right now uh with the current administration and kind of how they're handling that and i think that's for me when i look at it and listening to steve and i'm not sure how you feel uh, about it but there's an indignation of like what is going on Mm -hmm. like this is a precious thing right the last 20 years has been very precious and we understand that we can't stay there forever i got that but when i look at how this is unfolding i i'm wondering what's happening what is going on? Yeah. I got I know the military, trust me. I know that intelligence apparatus. I know all of that stuff. And what I see isn't lining up with what I know, and that makes me angry. It makes me angry.
0: Yep. No, I feel the same way, I think. Um If you've been in, you know the systems that work and and you know, I think real quick for the average listener, you know, we haven't been technically occupying and at war with Afghanistan for a while. You know, there's a big difference between a hundred thousand troops and 2,500. Yeah. You know, and we've had people on the ground there because intelligence has said that this is what's going to happen. If we pull, pull out and we've known that forever. Mm. Um, and so when people say endless war, oh, we're, we need to end this endless war and all these things. It's like we're at war all the time. You know, I mean, if we, when nine eleven happened, you know, on nine ten, were we not at war? Because they knew we were. Yeah. You know, they were they were after it, and so if we were going to pull out in the way that we did, there just would have had to have been better strategy. We could like we're doing quote unquote everything now that could have been done the day before. Yeah. You know, the rescue missions, the the removing of troops, the sending planes in, the the figuring out how to deal with the Taliban. This was all going to happen, and so yeah, we could have maybe plan that and implement that the day before we pulled out. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't understand from a logistical standpoint, no one is giving any explanation to that.
1: Yeah. It seems very chaotic.
0: Yeah. Which is not like to do that whole thing with all the geniuses that we have behind the, the wheel driving it. I mean, military guys who know who who are smart, who've done this, who've been there for 20 years to, to be this chaotic and this just, spontaneous quote unquote and to leave all these people to suffer it just doesn't doesn't add up
1: yeah so i i get a sense that you know the military does what the military does this is sort of outside the realm of department of defense and kind of is more of a department of state kind of presidential kind of decision making process right you know the military leaders are probably trying to do their best and they have to
0: follow orders yeah yeah
1: (laughs) We would hope that they would stand up, you know, if they see something wrong. I mean, that's part of integrity—is like, hey, this is wrong. No, this we can't, we can't do it this way. But I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of, of the politics of it.
0: Yeah, because we don't know.
1: Yeah, and, and there's quite frankly, you know, there's there's enough experts out there.
0: Oh yeah, and they're all talking about it. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: I, I think I want to kind of get back to what you were talking about, like you know, when I'm angry, or you know, when someone else is angry. or yeah, what if you're angry, if you're
0: listening to this and you're angry, whether you served in the military or not. Yeah,
1: I think, uh, one, that's a proper response. Like, it's okay. Yep, I'm angry too. Absolutely. Um, so, where, where do we take our anger? How do, we, how do we have the correct response? How can we take anger and then it's redemptive? Kind of like Christ, right? He's standing there, he's looking out, he sees death and destruction before him and... What does that anger do? What does it say? Um, it's compassionate mm-hmm. right? It, and it's, it's purposeful, moves forward. It has a redemptive nature to it. And so what you know when I thought about all this, I mean I'm like, man, I just the hardest thing for me is to having done all I've done in the military and been part of all I've been a part of is to sit here and watch it from TV. Mm-hmm. there's almost like a helpless nature to this where you're like oh man you know yeah and then i hear about all these vets that go over and doing all this stuff and i'm like why didn't they call me Dude, the you know? pineapple, express, yeah, thing, pineapple yeah. express i guess i didn't get that uh invitation but um like what wh- what can i do about it and, and i'm like well i need to go talk to clint that's right. We need to have a podcast. We need, we need to tell our story. We need to reach out to people and say like, hey, yeah, what is the proper response to this? We need to be encouraging one another and checking in on each other to make sure that we're doing okay. I that's mean, that, good, that's a response. What do yeah, you think?
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate your text this week. I know we've been texting back and forth for the last couple of weeks, and I think you know you had Afghanistan going, and then for me, I had superton Superdome for Hurricane Katrina and that was yesterday where we have the anniversary of Katrina and then Ida's hitting the same literal day 16 years ago and so yeah like we talked about I've been I really honestly have been pretty good but that helpless feeling I was texting some buddies today and just saying hey we're going to get the gang back together to go down and clean up some stuff in Baton Rouge or New Orleans or wherever you know needs help and I've done that golly I can't even tell you how many times since it's Louisiana (laughs) and there's plenty of opportunity to clean up after storms but there were plenty of years where I was like, "I hate New Orleans, I'm never going back to New Orleans, you know, and then God sent me back to New Orleans with our church to go to the same place that I was pulling security detail in the streets to now minister to people and, and so it's amazing how um, like much like you, God can resurrect these things that you think are dead for His purposes and His good, and so I would just challenge people to to not react. Um, to not be on social media listening to nonsense that's not even actually factual that you can't get truth with but go to the word go to christian brothers and sisters in your life reach out to military folks that you know and and love on them and cook a meal for them or pray for them or and tell them it was worth it yeah you know that that what they did was worth it and um it didn't have to be perfect it's messy It's, it's nuanced it's you know um But I think that would be the encouragement I give them is just, uh, to encourage them to, to talk to people. And, and the more you talk about it, the more, you you know, you get it off your chest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And two is like, I think we, like our sources of information these days are so polarized, right? So Mm -hmm. whether you're listening to CNN or Fox news and just for everybody out there, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of either. Yeah. Stop listening to both. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I, yeah, we, we could go on and on. Like, if you really want to know, and this is just sort of an education for everyone, right? If you want to know where we stand as a country in our foreign policy, there are certain, like, source documents you can read that are available for everyone, right? So when when a, a president's elected into office, there are certain documents that he is, you know, kind of by law is required to produce and give to Congress, and that's called as national security strategy and you can go online right now to google and type in Biden national you know interim national security strategy and so in that document you will see sort of you know the Biden administration coming up with their national security priorities and where they see you know the, we have this term called the, the instruments of power and so you've got dime which stands for diplomacy information Uh, military and economics. And so all these instruments of power and and how you take the combinations of those things to kind of address, like foreign policy and everything. And so you could go read that and inform yourself instead of listening to Fox News tell you what they think the foreign policy is. Uh, You could read a, a document called the National Defense Strategy, which is generated by the Office of the Secretary of Defense And that really, he takes his guidance from the president and then he takes all the military and formulates how the military will support the president's national security priorities. And then within the State Department, there's this joint strategic plan that the Secretary of State, after he kind of gets guidance from the president, formulates this is what the Secretary, this is what the uh, State Department will do in implementing. Because the State Department is like the executing arm of foreign policy for the president. So if you really want to kinda of, you know get educated on that, I would say, yeah, why don't you be educated and then, you know, through that lens listen to listen to the news because I feel like most sides are pretty well kind of slanted towards their own Yeah. Yeah. It's good advice. Yeah, it is because what you what you see is nonsense. Well, I mean, <laughs> th- there is a rationale to what we're doing there, right? There's been a shift from the war on terror, and that becomes kind of a back burner issue. It's certainly important, for sure. Like, the investment was, you know, we needed that. And then you, we get a shift towards, like, this big power competition, as they call it. And what that is, is, like, over the years since we've been fighting the war on terror, you've had countries like China and Russia building their militaries and their international influence and so there's this you know deliberate shift from this fight in the war on terror to we have bigger issues to consider as well and if you kind of educate yourself in it you see that playing out i'm not saying that what you know they're doing right now they're kind of fumbling the ball on this whole withdrawal and everything but there is a a rationale behind these moves and these shifts and if yeah. you if you know where to read and you kinda of start understanding those things you can educate yourself and it was kinda of like the more I know about the big picture what I see happening down here on the ground sort of makes sense mm-hmm. instead even of even if it's botched
0: completely. Yeah, if it's yeah. A botched
1: you could say like, yeah, that, that would that operation was totally just nonsense. But kind of in the bigger picture of things, you know, you sort of understand where we stand as a country and what the yeah. priorities are
0: it's good it's it's kind of like uh when people talk about the money you know and they and they talk about dumping 86 billion dollars into afghanistan and what a waste and what they could have been you know could have done here right and they say you know oh use that money for here i mean a lot of conservatives for example would say fiscally conservative people would say well it's not really the same thing like we have a certain allotment of money that we use home mm-hmm. on whether you'd say good or bad programs that should we're not going to use any more than that. There's a, there's a cap. And so it's not like we're using more money there that we would have put back into this, you know? So we got to go read where the money goes from all the politicians and all that kind of stuff in the first place. I'm not saying it's a good thing to spend that much money, but it's not a, Oh, we spent the money in Afghanistan. And so we could have been building better roads here in the United States. Like that's not really how it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's just a lot of things out there that, people are saying and arguing and making points about that aren't aren't true.
1: Yeah, like I don't necessarily agree with the you know, that plane loads of Afghanis is, is a bad thing. I mean there's this, you know, on one side it's like, oh, they're plane full of terrorists. I'm like, you don't know anything about those people. Right. You can sort of make some assumptions but and tell you like I would like to ask Fox News, i tell me one thing about any one of those people on that aircraft. Besides the fact that they're Afghani and they're fleeing their country, tell me something else besides it, you know, that, that you know about those people. One thing, Mm -hmm. crickets. I don't think they could tell you, they couldn't tell you that. So I just, I don't, I'd hate for us to, you know, kind of like overreact and have these, you know, snap judgments about things uh, based on what we're hearing. Cause I mean, it can be inflammatory and it just feeds that fire, that anger, you know, and you just kind of have a moment of, lapse insanity and you kind of go in a crazy man mode
0: no definitely and like you said earlier i mean it's 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 a right righteous indignation but we have to stop and we have to process that and talk it through before reacting Mm -hmm. and i think twitter facebook instagram lets us react without having any filter and i think that the lord um asks us to use his word and his holy spirit and in our community um to filter those things and so if you're out there and you're frustrated you know, get good information, um, you know, go to the Lord, go to people that you trust, um, and stop reacting. Um, man, I, I just appreciate you so much. wonder if there's any closing comments, thoughts, I feel like we kind of got all the good questions in, um, I mean, we can talk about policy with Afghanistan forever, but I feel like you getting to share your testimony and tell your story was more important than things that we just debate and wouldn't be really any truth anyway
1: yeah and i don't know in a a way i feel like we went kind of long on that but no that's great if if that's important that's that's important um like i said there there are you know you could get your fill of political pundits and whatnot. no i think
0: there's plenty of people talking about it and i think you know they don't need us to talk about it and they can look it up but um the more important thing was just you getting to tell your story and for people to hear what it's really like. So when they're thinking about Afghanistan and they're thinking about war and they're thinking about these people, these Marines that have died, that they're, they're getting a good picture of who those people are. Yeah. And then they're seeing like in your story, that God has intricately weaves himself through the whole thing to be a rescuer. Like you were being a rescuer to um, be a fighter. Like you were being a fighter to be a healer. Like you're being healed, you yeah. know? And like you said, I, I think, There's nothing too dark and there's nothing too um, broken and there's nothing too lost that that God can't redeem. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's beautiful for you to be able to share your story and uh, give people hope. Um, Mm -hmm. Because really war, Afghanistan is just content, right? I mean, Syria, Africa, North Korea, I mean, it's all falling apart. You know, um, America spiritually and emotionally is falling apart. I mean, we look good because we have a lot of wealth, but the average person that comes and sits in here is struggle bus.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. That kind of strikes a, a, a chord with me too. We we just talk about there's a, there's a saying that goes like this: politics is downstream of culture. And so, in my humble opinion, what we see kind of felling um, as our foreign policy as a country. We're trying to take our domestic policy. This is very interesting. We're trying to take our domestic policy and then implement that as our foreign policy, and we're seeing it kind of falling apart in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not working. Nope. I mean, the point is, like, we want to create a peaceful environment, right? We want people to be restored. We're looking for, you know...
0: Well, that's what we used to want.
1: Yeah. (laughs) as, As our country, we talk about, you know, hey, what we're doing out in the world, and really that's what promoting democracy promoting human rights and promoting freedom but what i find is our brand of democracy human rights and freedom has shifted quite a bit so our foreign policy or our domestic policy doesn't seem to be working so well Mm -hmm. right in helping people and fixing those problems and then we're taking that same format and we're putting it out there on the international scene. And yeah, I mean, we're trying
0: mind. to make the Taliban look like good people for a moment. You know, and I, again, I don't want to get into that too much, but, you know, I don't know about for you, but I know for me and plenty of other veterans, like hearing them try to be PC around talking about the Taliban was really like, whew, like we've moved a whole ideology shift in the last five to 10 years that would even... It wouldn't just take a stand and say they're evil this is bad this is going to go bad you know and and so I, I think i think that's what you're talking about to some degree
1: yeah and, and even more so it's like what we say in this country now when i say politics is downstream of culture we've had such a radical shift in our culture and what we're seeing right now and so the policy you know culture becomes policy and so this policy is being you kinda know, force on a place like Afghanistan let me ask you a question if if, you're, if your country your culture is Islam and then you have the occupiers are coming in and uh, forcing their sense of morality on you about what is right what is wrong you know what is sexuality what is gender what is all these things that we're sort of struggling with here in the United States right now and is creating a a a lot of conflict i'll be telling you know i'm i'm not afghani and i struggle with that myself in this country you take that and that's your form that's your brand of democracy and you put that on the afghanis what a disrespect like outside of christianity how disrespectful is that to that culture Mm -hmm. when their religion is like the state is the religion right they have certain beliefs and we come in and we say no we are the arbiters of you know, democracy, and we're going to tell you what freedom looks like. We're going to tell you what this looks like, and it, it in a sense like I can just I can see why they would be rejecting that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it it is a shame.
0: Well, yeah, when you try to force anybody to do something or change something or you know force an ideology, then they're going to most likely rebel right and so I, mean, I don't like anybody telling me what to do <laughs> and so what we see here is the
1: guy with the bigger stick wins and in this case the taliban they have they have the bigger stick they're the ones that can actually enforce it we just have lost the will to stay there and, and try to you know create some sort of change and
0: right and you can get into why that's right or wrong or we shouldn't be there and we should be there and all that stuff all day long but what we know is is that If you're listening to this and you're out there and you're frustrated and you want change, you know, with with politicians and the government and we can blame them for everything. But just like culture, um, I think you're right that it, it starts with us and that we have to look in our lives and go, okay, am I being divisive or am I being unifying? You know, am I? I want the government, I want Afghanistan, I want the military to do these things. Am I doing those things in my own life? Right? Am I empowering others? Am I serving others? Am I lifting up the poor? Am I lifting up women? Am I lifting up the oppressed? Am I helping children? You know, Am I doing those things?
1: You know what it boils down to? It's justice. We want justice. We look out at this and we're angry and we're like, I want accountability. I'm looking at this like these people must be held accountable. But it, when we look through, you know, the situation with, you know, kingdom eyes, meaning being a, a Christian, where does accountability always start with? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's moi. Yeah, it's a hard truth, man. It, um, it's a it's a toe cruncher for sure. Yeah. But I like that. It's like where you know where where does not that we don't hold these people accountable? No, absolutely. Yeah, but the the Christ way is like, hey take a look at yourself first where where do you need change where what what needs to happen here at home first and then once all that gets straight then you'll have clear eyes to kind of take a another look at the picture and see where you need to be compassionate or where you need to stand up and you know confront if needed yep it's good stuff yeah well um i've enjoyed it good As I told my story, you know that you know it, you know there weren't like the triggers, I guess you would say, kind of like the good, you know, bringing that stuff, uh, bringing that stuff. Those good tears, they were, and you know there were tears of 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 Thanksgiving, tears of just you know looking back on that now and seeing the, the Lord present in in those really dark dark moments, and
0: yeah. I'm proud of you, man. Yeah. Thanks. You've done some it. good work.
1: Yeah, he does. He's, yeah. he's batting a hundred percent.
0: Absolutely. Well, you too, man. I mean, you've done some good work in your own therapy um, and your own, you know, walk with the Lord and your own submission to him, mm. you know, and I say that all the time recently, you know, that they're think about the American church right now that we're going to see happen is a shift the next five to 10 years and people believing in Jesus and people submitting to Jesus. And the demons believed in Jesus They they knew he was the Messiah They knew he had the power to do all the things we talked about earlier But they didn't submit to him as king And so we have a challenge As a country to To submit To what Jesus calls us to To love our neighbors, to pray for our enemies And love them um, Even the Taliban, that doesn't mean people don't have consequences That doesn't mean there's not boundaries That doesn't mean that we don't um, hold people accountable But Jesus always spoke in grace and truth at the same time. Yeah. And we we tend to oscillate in our culture between being oh, we're going to let you do whatever and everybody can do what they want to and that's love, or we're going to force you and hammer you and tell you what the truth is and, you know, you better get it right. And it's it's finding that balance together to speak truth into people's lives gracefully, to be loving, to set our boundaries but do it without a, aggression. Right? Yeah. And I think that let that righteous indignation stir us to set boundaries and press forward and, and do something and act. But man, before looking at other people and saying they need to act and they need to do make sure that you know, we know to be perfect, but we need to be lined up.
1: That's right. In a in the right posture. That's right. Yeah and I and I would kind of my last closing comment here is like what kind of God are you following? Mm-hmm. I think if we're we're honest and we let scripture speak for itself what we see time and time again is this God that um, you see him angry about things but then he's quick to relent and he's kind and compassionate and you just see that verbiage and that that rescue verbiage over and over and over and over again through scripture and we talk about being a hostage I think the one Thing that I was hostage to in my own life was the wrong God. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I had this belief of, of a God who was kind of angry and and kind of fed up. And that's not.
0: He doesn't get tired that's of us. Not
1: him. No, and and no, it's a. You're going to submit to. Something. Jesus. That compassionate heart that loves you if you think God is angry at you or whatever, yeah, I could very easily see why well, people are kind of pushing back on that and rejecting that. And I'd be like, yeah, well you should. Cause that's not the truth. You need to be focusing on the real, mm. the real deal. Don't believe that lie.
0: That's right. The Don't. Lord is gracious and slow to anger. Absolutely. Bounding in love. Mm. All right, guys. Um, and I'm just so thankful to have Jeremy Morton on here To share his story and his testimony um, We spent a lot of time together tonight So y'all probably going to to listen to this In like three or four different days <laughs> or at the chunks But I can promise you um, His story, my story, every person's story Is one of rescue and redemption um, And if you're out there struggling Thinking I've done too much I've done too bad of things I've been too lost I've, I've been too hurt I've been too wounded I can't overcome these things. My marriage is broken. My kids are broken. My family's broken. Um, Just know that there is a God that loves you unconditionally and that sees you um, for who you are, which is his son or daughter, um, who he loves. And he is right there waiting on you to turn um, from the pigsty that you're in, from the brokenness that you're in, from the pain that you're in, from the control of your own life, and and to just turn and, and walk towards him and he will come running. Um, like the father he is and throw his arms around you and put a coat on you and put rings on you and throw you a party and so um it's up to you though the only only thing you have to do to have that peace is to turn to him um so we pray that you do um if you want to reach out uh email me clintdaviscounseling at com. follow our uh, facebook page subscribe to our podcast and uh you'll get more information like this we hope you guys have a good night um god bless you and Talk to you soon. Okay, guys, that was uh, the end of part two of the two-part series with uh, Jeremy Morton, um, Sergeant Major, Delta Force. It was a heavy podcast, so if and this tri- was triggering or brought up stuff for you, um, please reach out to somebody in your network, in your um, area. If you don't know who those people are who are trained in trauma, who understand how to help you heal and recover, reach out to us at clintdaviscounseling.com. You can give us a call and email clintdaviscounseling at gmail.com. And we'd love to help you and connect you with people in your area. We thank everybody for their service and their sacrifice. I hope that this podcast gave everybody an inside scoop into what it's like to sacrifice and serve. And so maybe it gives you a different perspective on how you should respond in these times um, with everything going on in the world. So know there's hope in Jesus Christ and know that um, there's redemption in his blood.